Okay, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to the Michael Slate Show. My name is Sansara Taylor. I am your guest host. Once again, happy to be back in studio here. 2023, a new year, and I want to wish everybody tuning in a happy new year and, and welcome to what will be, one way or the other, a profoundly momentous year for the fate of people not only across this country but around the world. And we are going to kick off this new year here on the Michael Slate Show in the most appropriate fashion we could come up with. We are going to talk about both the urgent need for fundamental radical change in this world, on this planet, the need for revolution more than anything else, but also how and why this is a year, 2023, when revolution is more possible, more urgently needed, but also more possible than it has been at any time for probably generations now. We're going to get into why this is true, how this is so, and how you, listening, wherever you're coming from, have a big role to play in learning about this, being a part of this, and shaping humanity's future. So we've got a great show planned for you. Um, I want to, before I go any further, I want to spend my send my special love and on behalf of everybody tuning in as well, I'm sure, to Michael Slate, uh, we wish you a happy new year and we can't wait for you to be back on air with us. And we are, I, I'm personally very proud to be sitting in for you. Regular listeners to the Michael Slate show will know that this show is pre recorded. One of the interviews on this show speaks about an event that has already happened. But that discussion, especially on the need for an actual revolution, is something you will want to hear. And the webinar, which they speak about, is still available to watch after the fact at youtube.com slash the revcoms. So let me introduce our show today. We are going to have two guests to open up the hour. I'm going to introduce them in a moment, two members of the revcoms, fighters for an actual revolution, to talk about this year and what we're facing and some plans to kick off this new year for the revolution. Then in the middle of the hour, we're going to play a portion of the historic interviews with the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakian, which I had the honor and the privilege of being part of conducting together with Andy Z for the Revolution Nothing Less show, the YouTube show that I co-host with Andy Z. Bob Avakian, as most regular listeners know of this station, is the foremost revolutionary leader and thinker in the world today. And these interviews are historic. They're profound. I'm going to play a segment of them. I'll introduce that in the middle. It gets into why this revolution is possible, some of the strategy to make it real. And then at the end of the hour, we're going to do a little bit of a role reversal. And one of my guests who's here in studio with me, Lenny Wolf, is going to interview me about the one of the very profound and sharp contradictions in this society that is part of why we need a revolution and also part of why revolution is possible, which is the intensifying brutal oppression of women with a particular focus on the taking away in this past year of women's fundamental right to abortion and the stakes that this poses for women and for all of society. So he's going to interview me about that. I've been very involved in the fight around abortion rights as part of the revolution. So without any further ado, let me introduce my guest. I have, as I mentioned, here in studio with me, Lenny Wolf, who is a writer for Revcom.us, a frequent guest on the Revolution Nothing Less show, as well as on this show, and a follower of the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakian. Lenny, welcome. Hi, how are you? And I also want to send out my greetings to Michael. Hello, Michael, and Happy New Year, and get better, brother. All right. Um, Happy New Year, Lenny. The same. And also on the air, I mean, on the phone, we have Michelle Chai, who is a leader 
of the Los Angeles Revolution Club. Michelle, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Hello. Hey, coming in from New York. It's, uh, yes. In the bitter cold, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we're glad to have you with us, both of you. Um, and I know there are big plans coming up this week to kick off the new year for the revolution, which we're going to talk a little bit about. But Lenny, I got to do the short version. 2023 is going to be a momentous year one way or the other for for the people in the future. Um, as we enter this new year, how are you seeing the stakes? What are people confronting? What? Is, how do you see the need for revolution? And how do you see the possibilities? Well, first of all, let's talk about what a real revolution is, just so we all know. A real revolution is not electing a bunch of left-wing Democrats. It's not um, having a bunch of people just out demonstrating or living in a different way or trying to live in a different way. A revolution means that you have a society in which millions of people feel compelled to, um, to not just go into the streets but to actually uh, get organized in a way that they can um, defeat and dismantle the institutions of violent repression that normally hold uh, people in check, that weigh on people even to uh, consciously or unconsciously. And it has to also not just be a change in, uh, in government, but it has to be an entirely new economic system in which the system is restructured to serve the needs of the people. The society itself owns the means of creating the necessities for people, the wealth of society. And, um, and then all the different political institutions and social relations between people are able to be gone to work on and new liberating institutions, new emancipatory relations are... Uh, put in place, not by, uh, there's leadership, of course, but this is leadership that's bringing forward masses of people to consciously do this. So if it's not that, if it's anything short of that, it's not really a real revolution. So that's what we're talking about. I think that's important because people do throw the word around revolution and they mean different things by it. So we're talking about the overthrow of this system. The of overthrow capitalism of this system of capitalism, imperialism, right. And a new socialist system, and as you mentioned, Bob Avakian, Bob Avakian's written a constitution, the Constitution for the New Socialist Republic of North America. He's authored that. And uh, as he himself says in the interviews that you mentioned and we're going to be promoting, people always say, well, you're always talking down about this system. It's no good. And I'm going to talk down. I'm going to am going to talk bad about it <laughs> in a few minutes. I'm going to get there. But what do you got to replace it? And this is something that um, that gives you very concretely, it's a very visionary document, and it's a very concrete blueprint at the same time. And it will surprise you. Um, it is a big advance over the conception of what a socialist society is that there's been in the past, even socialist revolutions that were fundamentally or at least principally positive and good. This is a big advance beyond that. And perhaps one day I'll come on and we'll talk about it or somebody else. But it's concrete. It's real. Mm -hmm. We have a program. So I do want to give you a chance to talk down about this system because a lot of people, they see 
things that are dissatisfying, things they don't like, things that outrage them, but you're talking about the system in its essence and its totality. How do you see the main features of why we need a revolution? Well, just let me take one example. I could take a million examples. Let me take one example. Uh, I'm reading this book. I've read a couple of books, actually, about the 1960s, and I want to talk about these in a different context in a minute or two. There's this book by Mike Davis about uh, Los Angeles in the 60s, Set the Night on Fire. There's a book called America on Fire by um, Elizabeth Hinton. These are books about the upsurge of the 1960s. And one thing that comes through in here is that there was a tremendous, there were millions of people who were hungering for revolution. They weren't organized to make a revolution. I don't think I was one of those people. I don't think we at that time actually had a good idea of what we would do were we somehow to seize power. I don't think we had a understanding of how that would work in a country like this. But um, at a certain point, that revolutionary tide exhausted itself, and the, what became dominant were people who said, well, let's work within the system. Let's make a few reforms. The system can hear us. So let's just take one example. Let's take the example of mass incarceration. America, the land of the free, quote unquote, holds more people in prison and holds a way higher percentage of people in prison than any other country in the world, any other society in the world. The Russian autocracy is very, very bad, very repressive. Well, actually, the American, quote unquote, democracy actually holds a much higher percentage, almost double the percentage of people in jail that Russia does, which is number two, as it turns out, and so on down the line. In 1970, there were 200,000 people who were imprisoned. Today, there's 2 million people who are in prison. This is the big reforms, how, how the system could work. Ten times as many people in prison now. I think the population is only double what it was. Mm -hmm. I could give you example after example. If you go to Revcom.us this Monday, you probably heard about the blizzard in Buffalo. Did you know that over half the people who were killed in the blizzard were African-American? And did you know that they, African-Americans, are only uh, one out of seven of the population of the metropolitan area of Buffalo? And this goes on and on and on. And we could talk about so many different examples of this. Immigration, the environment, um, the rights of, of LBGTQ people. You're going to talk about abortion in a bit. And, of course, the big uh, elephant in the room, the real threat of nuclear war. Mm. Fifty years after the biggest peace movement in the history of the United States. So these are all things that tell you you cannot make any fundamental basic change for the better in this society because of a system. And that's capitalism, imperialism, and that's a long discussion in itself. But this is this point, we need a revolution. You know, um, I want to bring Michelle, I want to bring you in in just a moment, but I, I, you're calling to mind a very important core point that Bob Avakian has hammered on and really driven home that fundamentally the, the people have two choices. We either right. live with all of what you're describing 50 years after the biggest social movements and right. revolutionary upsurge for social justice and change and revolutionary change. We either 
live with all of this and condemn future generations to the same or worse if they have a future at all, or we make revolution. And those are the two choices facing humanity. And in that light, Michelle, I want to bring you in uh, to talk a little bit about uh, I know there's a big kickoff uh, fundraising webinar to put revolution on the map this year in 2023 coming up on Sunday. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and its importance? Yeah. Um, the Movement for Revolution, we're going to be hosting a major live stream fundraiser, right? And this is part of raising $100,000 by February 15th to, as Lenny said, right, put, putting revolution on the map, right? Like everything that Lenny was talking about in terms of these horrible things that we see every day. I mean, just just having this in mind, right? I was reading the website revcom.us and there's uh, there's articles about the migrant crisis, right? And people that are watching this, people that are agonizing over this, right? And right, right under those articles, there's a excerpt from the constitution for the new socialist republic in North America. And you just see the contrast, right? Of like how people will actually be treated and actually, you know, seen as human beings, you know, fleeing from violence, fleeing from, you know, uh, you know, situations where that are unlivable, right? To, you know, where it would be, it would just be handled in such a different way than how it is being handled right now, right? Um, and I was just, that's just really fresh on my mind because I was reading the website, right? And I think like, you know, there are, there is a solution to this. We need a revolution, nothing less, right? And people got to know that there is this movement for revolution, that we have this leadership, Bob Avakin, right, who actually wrote this constitution that, you know, that gave these tremendous interviews, right, up close and personal with Bob Avakin, hard and so and hardcore for revolution, and that there's a possibility to actually, you know, where this revolution becomes more possible, right? And, and, we and people got to get with this revolution. People got to know about this. People, people that are agonizing over this need to know that there is a way out of this and that they can contribute to this, right? That they can be part of this as they're learning about it, as they have big questions about it. And, you know, it can be part of a community of people that are learning more about this. And at the same time, again, spreading this and contributing to this. And, you know, this is, you know, we don't have a lot of time and, you know, putting this revolution on the map is, you know, this is how we're going to, this is how we're beginning this year, 2023, right? Raising big funds to project that. You want to tell people how they would get involved in this uh, webinar? Everybody that wants to see a different world, watch together where you'll get a chance to hear from the revolutionary, right? People that are on the ground, you know, that are getting the word out about this revolution. You know, this live stream is going to give you a way, you know, to join together in common effort, you know, to spread the word about this revolution, you know, and creating community, right? Again, around these interviews uh, with Baba Vakian. And Michelle, real quick, you've been part of a lot of uh, fundraising efforts that are, yeah. I've learned from a lot of what you've shared about this, and I'm hoping you could share some with our audience today about some of the collective efforts to raise funds that are actually at one and the same time fueling the revolution, but also getting people organized and a chance for people to come together and learn about the revolution um, in, a, in a collective form. You want to share a little bit in just a couple moments? I mean, a couple minutes? Uh, yeah. I mean, recently, the, the most recent experience I had was raising money selling tamales. Um, out in Los Angeles, and we were able to bring people together who were watching these interviews with Baba Vakian, who were being inspired by it and who wanted to raise funds, right, and bringing people together to both make the tamales and to sell them. And um, and it was really, it was a really inspiring uh, 
you know, uh, experience because different people who have never made tamales, right, including myself, um, coming together, making them. You know, we had some issues where some people got sick, so they couldn't, so they couldn't do everything they had, uh, they had said they would. But we were able to put it, put this uh, need to other people, right, including people who sell tamales to donate like a hundred tamales for our sale in a neighborhood where, you know, where where the police uh, murdered somebody, and we raised like over six hundred dollars. Um, off of two days of selling tamales, bringing people together to make them, bringing other people in to contribute to it, and spreading the word, right, by taking flyers to their supermarkets, to their neighbors, to everybody they knew to let them know that we were going to be selling tamales for the revolution, and including somebody who went to their supermarket and actually had the, the, um, the cashier, like, let him go through the supermarket and then donated some corn husks for us to make the the tamales. So it was it, it was a really important experience in terms of people stepping into this revolution and contributing to it in big and small ways, right, which is more of what we need. Yeah, I think anybody who's serious about making an impact with anything, whether you're it's a new trend, you're selling some uh, trinket that you're trying to market, but especially for something that's serious about changing the world, you can't do it without serious funds. We're in a society where people are bombarded. They're overwhelmed with all kinds of things that are being pushed on them. And to penetrate above the noise and really to reach the millions and millions in this country at the bottom of society and all different strata who are agonized about the future, who need to know that there's a way out and there's a serious movement for revolution that they can relate to and be part of, that doesn't happen without funds. Um, so there's a role for everybody who wants to learn about this, who wants to be involved in it, to tune into this webinar at youtube.com slash the revcoms and meet some of the revolutionaries, watch some of the interviews, hear a little bit more about this and gather your friends and start that process. Uh, Lenny, both you and Michelle have, and I also have already mentioned that this is a time when revolution is more possible. And we have just a couple minutes, but could you give a sense of why that is and why 2023 is the time to think really big and daring? Okay, well, I started out uh, referring back to the 1960s, and I'm sure some of your listeners are saying, well, Jesus, if you couldn't make revolution in the 1960s when you had millions, how do you intend to do it today? And uh, you would probably think I was smoking something if I said that uh, this early in the morning, if I said that, actually, the irony of it is, is that the chances, it's more possible today than it was then. And there's a, sh a long answer and a short answer. And the short answer is today's the second anniversary of an attempted fascist coup in this country where they couldn't even impeach at the time or convict at the time, the person who obviously was running it, Trump, and down to this day have not indicted him. And uh, he's paying no price. These fascists, you have a fascist hardcore as one part of the ruling class, and you have another part of the ruling class that's trying to cling desperately to these norms as they get shredded today. This is the second anniversary of that coup and how is it being celebrated? They can't even elect a Speaker of the House because of a hard fascist core that's trying to make the whole fascist movement even harder to tremendously shorthand this. Mm -hmm. When they can't, when you have a split in every institution of society, every institution, 
up and down every section of the whole population. When there is a split like that, and when one group is moving to upend the way things have always been done, it raises questions in the minds of many as to whether things always have to be this way and how did we get into this mess. If we can bring forward a force this year, first in the hundreds, then the thousands, but aiming to get into the millions in fairly short order, then there is a real chance, not a guarantee by any stretch of the imagination, but a chance that a situation could be brought about in which you could actually make an attempt to actually do what needs to be done in this country, to make a real revolution and to bring in a whole different economy, a whole different set of uh, political institutions, a whole different way of relating to each other. One element of it, we talk about this year getting revolution on the map. Raising funds is not different from getting revolution on the map. No revolution has ever been made um, just by the revolutionaries. The emancipation, people's, the emancipation of the masses is ultimately must be done by the people themselves. They need leadership, but they need to be part of making that happen. They need to have a way in which their initiative can come into play, in which they learn the strength of organization right at the very onset and beginning of a movement when it's still very small. And fundraising is a way to be part of the uh, to be part of doing that, not only raising funds, but building up those muscles for the future. It'll be a time when you'll uh, meet some of the people who are actually moving to put this revolution on the map in the uh, months and weeks to come. And you will be hearing parts of this incredible interview with Bob Avakian, which we think mm -hmm. is a key, key way to actually pump this revolution up to a whole different level in the minds of people in this country and in what they see as possible and what they see as necessary. All right, so Lenny and Michelle, I want to thank you for talking about kicking off this new year with revolution in a big way, including this fundraiser to put revolution on the map or to begin to launch the year. Um, in a moment, we're going to come back and we're going to play a segment of this interview with Bob Avakian. But first, we're going to take a little musical interlude. I want to remind you that you are listening to The Michael Slate Show. We're about to hear from Tumaj with Justina. And this revolution that we are fighting for is an internationalist revolution. It's for the people of the world. And everybody with a beating heart and an ounce of humanity has been inspired by the uprising of women and others in Iran against the oppressors of the Islamic fundamentalist regime there and should be standing with and defending those who are under attack, who are imprisoned, who are being tortured and killed by that regime, including Tumaj is a heroic uh, artist who is currently in prison there. And so we want to hear this musical piece from him for just a moment. Thank you. 
نسل کامل زن اومدیم کنارم این یه اختاری داره گشت ارشادتون گیره پشت ترافیک ماه بفرست چیره خارت اینجا هزار هزار بی نقابه کف خیابونیم ولی ببین صدا میره تا بچی راستانا شناسی که اعلامیه داد این بار موی آزاد میرقص توی بازی باد قانونی که پا میذاره رو تو بذار زیر پات با اختیار زندگی کن بگو هجابی هجاب هجابی هجاب 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 هجابی هجاب هجابی هجاب 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 هجابی هجاب با اختیار زندگی کن بگو هجابی هجاب هجابی هجاب 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 هجابی هجاب اونه که دست تحقیق ران وقتش پس بدی موی آزاد میده رخش دی که تمام دوران بردگی تاوان آره ولی باشه میدیم میسوزیم ولی ستاره میشیم نه قانون و نه آیه دین آزادی رو توی تاله دیم هجابی هجاب 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 هجابی هجاب هجابی هجاب 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 هجابی هجاب یه نسل شیک یه نسل تیز یه نسل تازه نمیرخصه با سازی با ساز ما نمیسازه تو سری نیست دیگه به زور نمیرم زیر این رو سری هیست آهای دشمنای چه ساله مردم ایران دیگه وقتشه بفهمینی زمون در این نیست به قول شیرزن گرگانی این لچک و این قوانین و ارگانی موها من شلاق بشن تو صورت تالا خوددانی عربده بکش جربه خودت و برام از Alright, so that was Tumaj, um, Iranian rapper who is currently imprisoned um, along with thousands and thousands of others who stood up against the Iranian regime there. Um, our hearts and our support need to be with the people there, including to insist that the U.S. not meddle and interfere with the struggle of the people there to get free. The name of that song, and I'm going to fail in, pronunci- in pronouncing it correctly um, in Persian, it's Shalag. Uh, which means whip, which I did want to at least bring you the translation because it is a key concentration of the violent repression of that barbaric regime that's being inflicted on people there. So we're going to now move into uh, a segment of the interview, the historic interviews that I did together with Andy Z last year with Bob Avakian, the revolutionary leader. And This comes in the second of the three interviews that we did. We've talked a lot and gotten to know Bob Avakian, the person, how he was shaped as a revolutionary in the days of the 1960s, how he stayed on the revolutionary road, how he's seeing this time that we're in the danger of nuclear war with the proxy conflict between the U.S. and Russia in Ukraine. He's talked about many, many different things. And then Andy asks a question, which really is on the minds of anybody who hears about revolution and and wants to see a revolution and probably is on the minds of many of you listening to our first segment, talking to Lenny and Michelle, which is, yeah, but is it really possible? How How could you make this revolution? You don't have the people. So let's listen to Andy ask the question and Bob Avakian's answer. So just to follow up on, uh, that, uh, last point you made and, Uh, you know, some of the people who have been active going out to organize people with that understanding uh, uh, have raised uh, to us that, uh, yeah, but the people say to us, they look out there and they say, you people don't have that many people right now. You're kind of small. And not only that, there's not really the kind of mass resistance we we need. And so how are you going to do that? What you're talking about sounds good, but it ain't going to happen. What do you say to them? Yeah, well, a lot of times it looks like something's not going to happen until the night before yeah. it does happen. You know, that's one thing to understand. And that has meaning. It's not just a clever thing to say. You know, this is a time of, you know, when, when things are being accelerated at an increasing pace, you know, and changes. I mean, who anticipated a year ago even 
that they would overturn Roe v. Wade. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, this, the Supreme Court's bad, but they'll never do that. You know, yeah, I've read many articles where, people's, where people were writing and saying they'll never do that because most people in the country support the right to, at least the right to choose. Well, guess what? They did it. You know, and that, you know, things of that kind are going to continue to happen at an accelerated pace. And, you know, so, yes, it's true. The forces of revolution, in particular the Rebcoms who base themselves on the new communism, are very small at this time. That's a, that's a fact, you know, and we're not going to try to, you know, bull people and pretend something other than what it is, because we base ourselves on a scientific approach to making revolution, which means actually dealing with the actual reality and telling people the truth about the actual reality. I, I've told this story before. There was a group, you know, I don't know if they're still around or not, but back in the 60s, there was this group called PL, Progressive Labor. I mean, you can imagine, they're supposedly a communist group. Imagine what kind of communism, what kind of group supposed to be communist calls itself progressive labor. I mean, come on. Anyway. <laughs> Wrong on two counts. <laughs> Leaving that aside, you know, like in the economism to the nth degree, you know, just like burying yourself in the narrow struggles, you know, of, of, of uh, you know, of today. But anyway, they, one of their members got up at a rally, and I think it was actually being, they were being interviewed, too. And I think it actually got into the New York Times where they said, we have 10,000 members in Harlem. And a bunch of us said, man, what the f are you talking about? You don't have any, you don't have any 10,000 members in Harlem. And the guy said, yeah, I know we don't, but if we say it, maybe we'll get them. Well, that's not the way we're going to approach things with that kind of opportunism. You know, you have to deal with the actual reality. So yes, the forces of revolution are small. Right now, the Repcom forces basing themselves on the scientific method and approach of the new communism are small. And, you know, if, if it were just a matter of, like, gradually accumulating forces, you know, a few today and a few next week and a few next year, and, you know, with the prospect that maybe in some, you know, never-never land of 70 years from now, maybe we'd get, have enough people to make a revolution. Well, yes, then it, you could say that would never happen. But think, I mean, look, I made this point in 2020 when there was a massive upsurge around the murder of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. You know, I said, look around you. Nobody expected this kind of massive outpouring. And yet here it came seemingly out of nowhere, but it didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of the underlying contradictions, the oppression of black people in particular and others, Latinos, Native Americans, and the brutal way in which this is daily enforced by murdering pigs. This was the underlying accumulation of contradictions and, you know, and, and suffering and anguish and outrage finally burst forth when this was just one too many. It's similar to what's happening in Iran now. You know, I mean, there have been many women dragged off the street by their morality police for years and decades. But finally, this one, you know, with this particularly brutal murder of this, yes, that's what it was. You know, you, you know the idea that this 22-year-old woman who was perfectly healthy had a heart attack is outrageous. You know, and nobody believes it. Not even the people telling me a lie believe it, I would, I would imagine. Okay, but all of a sudden... Things have reached another level. Now, I don't know where, where all this is going to go at this time. The, the forces of the ruling class there are still very powerful. But this has gone to a level beyond anything previously. And it's, you know, on the one hand, you know, you could say it's just one more thing. Here's one more woman dragged off by the morality police and, brutal, and brutalized, and it results in her death. But it was just one too many. 
in the context of a lot of other things going on. You know, people are suffering economically and so on. It was just one too many. The same thing in 2020. There were millions of people in the street. What was missing then, and we have to fault ourselves in part for this, although we talked about revolution and put out revolution, we didn't really go and struggle with people about you know, what this really shows is the need to get rid of the whole system. And you are not going to defund the police. You know, you know look at what's happened. You know, you got the, you know, the great Democratic hero, Joe Biden. The answer is not to defund the police, it's to fund them, fund them, fund them. What I say? Fund them. <laughs> you know, so, you know, but that was a prevailing line. And so, you know, this thing got led off into a side, you know, side stream and, and, you know, a side street and didn't go anywhere ultimately, even though it was, you know, really heroic outpouring of millions of mm -hmm. people, which was supported by millions more around the world. Who predicted that? a month before. I mean, yes, we've been talking for decades and mobilizing people in struggle against police murder for, for decades. You know, there's a whole national day of protest against police brutality and criminalization of a generation and, and, and repression. That goes back to the mid-90s. You know, but, but all of a sudden, this, a bunch of things came together. All right, you know, if the revolutionaries had been working the way we should have been, bringing revolution to that and struggling with people, not just about we need revolution in the abstract, but why these other avenues and lines and roads and, and programs were not going to lead things where they, they need to go. The question is, why should anybody put up with this kind of you know, brutal murder time after time after time after time? Why do the parents and loved ones of these people have to shed these tears and cry this anguish time after time after time. Shouldn't, isn't it long past time to put an end to this completely? Yeah. Okay, so then what is, what is going to be required to put an end to this and all the other outrages, which we also need to be bringing sharply to light? You know, the oppression of women, the, you know, the absolute destruction of the environment, the threat of nuclear war going on the persecution of the immigrants, and on and on and on. You know, the, the persecution of gay people and, you know, trans people and so on. You know, in the context of all that, we needed to be saying to people, there's only one solution to this. It's not an easy solution, but it's the only real solution. That's what a scientific approach tells us, because this is rooted in the system and we can show it. And the only way to get rid of all this is to overthrow this system. Now, that wouldn't have, probably would not have led to a revolution right then, but it, but it could have led to accumulating many more forces. And then the next time something jumped off, like what, what, what happened with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we'd be in a stronger position with more forces and more ability to impact that situation so long as we were consistently going out there with revolution. And, they, you know, Lenin made the point, leader of the Russian Revolution and, a, you know, important communist theoretician, made the point that in these kind of circumstances, which we're living in now, and it's important to understand, you know, decades of ordinary times get concentrated in not only in years but in months and weeks and that's what you saw in 2020 on a certain level, not yet to revolution. But that's what you saw, and that's what's going to be increasingly happening. The question is, are the revolutionaries, small as they are right now, yes, we're going to be honest about this. We're not going to try to fool people. That's not scientific. That's not principled. But small as they are, can they go out and, and drive home to people this lesson and 
show it in a scientifically grounded, understandable way, not talking like, you know, well, you must understand it's the imperialist system that causes all these horrors in the world, and the first thing we need is a proletarian revolution which first occurred in 1917 after the failure of the Paris Commune in 1871 and was taken to its highest level by the Chinese Cultural Revolution. That's, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? But to go out and in a living way present to people the actual reality of what this is all rooted in, why things are accelerating the way they are, how the ruling class is in, increasingly an antagonistic unresolvable conflict within itself, and how this provides opening for us to actually get rid of all this oppression by scientifically understanding that it's rooted in the very workings of this system, the very dynamics and the very relations of this system, and that we can mobilize and win over the forces. Most of all, people who are catching the worst hell under this system, which are millions and tens of millions, but also people from other parts of society who hate injustice, and who want a better future for humanity and don't want to be, have nuclear weapons raining down on humanity, don't want the environment to be destroyed. We can win increasing numbers of them over, and it's going to all be very accelerated one way or the other. So we've got to go out with that understanding and give, it, give that understanding to the masses of people, like I said, in very basic terms and in everyday language, not in a stilted language that I was just you know, mocking, to be, to be blunt. But, you know, this is where building up the forces for revolution in a growing way. Today there are small numbers. Tomorrow there are, you know, hundreds verging on thousands. And there are thousands. And when there are thousands, those thousands make millions sit up and take notice. You see thousands of people all together, you know, firmly convinced of the need for revolution, not in some sort of religious sense, but in a, with a scientific foundation in basic terms. You see them on the on the political stage, influencing the political terrain, you know, the, the, how things are shaping up, millions of people start taking notice. And millions of people who are telling us today, oh, that'll never happen, start thinking a little differently, or at least mm -hmm. questioning, well, maybe it could happen. And then, you know, the question is, do you have a leading force, a core leading this, that has the scientific method and approach and has an actual strategy and plan for how to build up the forces for revolution, how to work to create the conditions for revolution, carry out what we call the three prepares. Prepare the ground, the political situation. Prepare the masses of people and prepare the vanguard leadership so that you can go all the way with revolution. You know, and people are gonna start sitting up and taking notice, wow. There are people out here and they're very serious about this and they have a scientific approach which they can explain to me in terms that I can actually understand and they've got a strategy and a program for how to go, out, how to go about this and how to win when the time comes. Not that they've given us a guarantee but, they're, but they have a strategy for how to go about winning and they've got a whole vision and concrete blueprint for what to do when we do win, namely the Constitution for the New Socialist Republic in North America.
right, so that was uh, a portion of the interview with Bob Avakian that I did together with Andy Z on the Revolution Nothing Less show at youtube.com slash the Revcoms Bob Avakian, the revolutionary leader and architect of the new communism. My name is Sansara Taylor. I am your guest host here today on the Michael Slate Show here on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. And right after that, you heard a little sound from Boots Off Our Backs, We Won't Go Back, which is transitioning us now into one of the key fault lines and battle lines in this society right now. And one of the reasons we need a revolution, which is the brutal oppression an intensifying oppression of women concentrated right now in the tearing away of women's right to abortion, the constitutional protection for the right of abortion last year. So as I said at the top of the hour, we're going to do a role reversal now. And my guest here in studio, Lenny Wolf, is going to interview me for the portion, of the remainder of the hour because I, and I'll introduce myself um, again, <laughs> not only as the host of the guest host of the Michael Slate show here today, but I am also a follower of Bob Avakian, a revolutionary fighter myself, and somebody who in that capacity played a very key role in the last year, actually for several decades now, but in an intense way in the last year as a co-initiator of Rise Up for Abortion Rights, um, which waged a massive fight to stop the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year. So um, I'm going to hand it over to Lenny in just a moment. But first, we both wanted to play one more excerpt from this interview with Bob Avakian, where he touches on the centrality of the oppression of women and the fight to liberate women as part of the revolution that we need. So let's listen to that. Then Lenny will take the driver's seat. And, you know, I, I will say, you know, just on a personal note, that for me, in my own development as a revolutionary and communist, I would say it has been a lifelong process of a continually deepening understanding of, you know, the horrific nature of the oppression of women, but also the pivotal and central role of the struggle for the emancipation of women in the overall communist revolution to emancipate all humanity from every form of oppression and exploitation. So, you know, th this really is, you know, crucial in the whole struggle. There is not going to be any liberating struggle, any liberating rev real revolution that doesn't have right at the heart of it, at the core of it, the emancipation of women from every way in which they're degraded and debased and oppressed and, you know, violently suppressed. And, you know, this and this is a lot of struggle. Now, you know, look there, I've talked about backwards that people are into, but there also are, you know, positive things where, you know, not only among young women, but even some of the young men, including among the oppressed, have taken a better stand on this because they can identify, you know, at least on a, you know, as a first step, beginning basis, they can identify with the, with people who are being oppressed. You know, and then sometimes it's more large, there's more largeness of mind involved. They don't want oppression of any kind, you know, as much as they understand that. They're against it. So there's, there's contention out there. But, you know, in order, like I said, in order to have this revolution, this has to be at the core of it. It's not the only form of oppression. It has to be uprooted, obviously, but it is, it is right at the core of transforming the whole world. You know, this, this historic... And, you know, thousands of year old oppression of women in different forms and different societies, you know, and it's been completely bound up with the division of society overall into masters and slaves, into oppressors and oppressors, exploiters and exploiters. You go back in history, it's completely bound up with that and has run through every form of, of, of oppression and exploitation going back to days of slavery right up to the modern <laughs> capitalism, imperialism and all its forms of oppression. 
Yeah, so I uh, wanted Sansara to kind of begin this segment by stepping back to the big picture, if you want to put it that way, the broadest sweep of humanity and what this question means, where it sits, and to just comment on that. And I think that's a good way then for us to zoom in on the uh, question of abortion. But first, I did want to hear just, okay, so you hear that. You've heard it a number of times. What does it evoke? What is, where does it put you? You know, listening to that excerpt of the interview that Bob Avakian did, there's really two things that hit me so powerfully. One is just the profoundly liberating, emancipatory, deeply, deeply transformative character of the revolution he's talking about. He's not talking about a few reforms within the way that we live today. He's talking about really ending all relations of exploiters and exploited, masters and slaves, oppressors and oppressed, the idea that some people are on top and others are on the bottom, including in the most, uh, one of the deepest forms of oppression is the thousands and thousands of years, as he was talking about, of, of ways that women have been treated as less than, property of men, degraded, demeaned, lesser beings, seen as as less intelligent, less capable, um, physically endangered in so many ways, degraded and demeaned. And the way that this has been internalized by women as their place, as well as by men, that it's their right and their prerogative and how they can be somebody in a world that is so degrading to many of them as well is by getting over on women. And this revolution is about breaking all the chains and really creating not only a new society, a new world, new ways that people live, but also new ways that people feel and relate on the most intimate and the most far-reaching level. And I think it's it's a vision that is profoundly liberating. Um, and beyond what most people are thinking about when they hear revolution, and I think it's very inspiring. And the other thing that really strikes me in listening to it is the way he began where he said um, that for him, this question of really coming to understand the degraded, oppressed conditions of women and the centrality of the fight to liberate women um, as part of the fight to emancipate humanity has been a process, a lifelong process of learning and deepening his understanding. And I think that says a lot both about the character of the revolution that he's fighting for, as well as the character of Baba Vakin himself, that that he his life has been a journey of deepening his commitment and his understanding of how to get humanity free, including on really what is one of the most deeply entrenched uh, forms of oppression on this planet uh, of women by men. And I think that says a lot about who he is. And, and, and I, when I hear him say that, I, I understand him to say that that's an ongoing process, too, and it needs to be for all of us. Yeah, and I think he's been very, very uh, open throughout in subjecting um, ideas that we had had at different times which, uh, to analysis and to rigorous interrogation and to uh, to correction where necessary, and to actually a deepening. It's mm -hmm. not just getting things right. It's a much deeper understanding of the centrality of, of this question, as he said, of gender and gender oppression to the, uh, to the liberation of all humanity, the emancipation of all humanity. It builds on but goes much, much further than anything that's been done before. And I really I really want people, go to the website, revcom.us, and go into uh, 
Click on the Bob Avakian Collected Works and then go into uh, some of what he's done on the question of the emancipation of women. But coming from that framework, why don't you take us back to a year ago and um, what were what were you up to? What were you about to do? Why? And uh, how does this fit into the larger picture you were just talking about? Yeah, so a year ago, just over a year ago, um, the Supreme Court held its uh, hearing on the case that went ahead a few months later um, in the middle of last year to overturn women's right to abortion, Roe v. Wade. Um, but the Supreme Court had the hearing a year ago in December, and it was obvious right there. It was, a, it was the Trump-packed fascist Supreme Court, a majority, a completely illegitimate, theocratic, fascist-dominated Supreme Court. And they made clear in that hearing that the majority had, and, and we knew this going in, they were completely opposed to women having the right to control their bodies, their lives, their reproduction. They were against abortion. It was the litmus test of how they got appointed. Everybody knew this. And they had this hearing, and it was clear that they were on track to either gut and eviscerate or outright overturn Roe v. Wade. And without the right to abortion, women are forced to have children against their will. Their lives are demeaned. They're foreclosed. It is a form of enslavement. Forcing women to have children against their will is a form of female enslavement. And it is, it's just no exaggeration to put it that way. And this is what was on track. It was obvious and it needed to be fought. And so I looked out at this, the uh, RevComs that I work with uh, looked out at this and, and this was something that could not be accepted. And yet at that very moment, the so-called voices of the so-called pro-choice movement, the so-called leaders who people look to, who claim to be fighters for reproductive rights were completely silent, mute. There was no opposition, no protest called. Nobody called this out. There was silence. And so I got together. I started reaching out to people that I've met over the years in the fight around abortion rights and women's right to uh, reproductive freedom, as well as people I didn't know who had spoken out about this. And we put out a statement. We initiated a movement called Rise Up for Abortion Rights to lead people into the streets, the millions and millions who do not want to see women reduced to breeders of children, and degraded and enslaved in that way to get out in the streets and raise bloody hell, nonviolent, massive protest to say we won't allow the Supreme Court to overturn this right. And um, it was very important that we did this. We launched uh, last year on January tw uh, 22nd, the anniversary of Roe v. Wade in Washington, D.C. We did protests with thousands across the country on March 8th, International Women's Day, with a very internationalist character. And then when the Supreme Court leak that made clear that they were on track. They really had already written the decision to overturn abortion rights. We led tens of thousands in the streets of student walkouts, furious, outraged young women, older women who remember what it was like before uh, abortion was legal, who held their friends as they died in back alleys or, or mourned them in silence because there was so much shame over women who had been, you know, died in hospitals, uh, because they had perforated uteruses from botched illegal abortions or women who had their lives foreclosed by children they did not want and could not raise. So we led people to fight this when, when there was a complete capitulation by the Democratic Party and the so-called leaders of the so-called pro-choice movement. And I think it was very profoundly important that people stood up. And, and that's what I was working on a year ago and a little bit beyond a year ago, yeah. Um, you know, I'm sitting here and thinking, dang, we should have set aside an entire hour just to, <laughs> for this. And we should, yeah. I, in my opinion. Um, but 
Okay, in the time we have, can you give me three big lessons that people should take home and then what towards the future? I, that gives you about a minute apiece, I know, but... Um, well, one go. thing is I will say it was very important people stood up. It was a big problem, and it remains a big problem, that so many people who support women's rights, who support abortion rights, who are horrified by what they are seeing happen, are still relying on and putting their faith in the Democratic Party. And I want to say, i got to give a shout out to Paul Street, who's on the editorial board of Refuse Fascism, along with myself and others. And he just did a piece where he talks about Planned Parenthood, down the backs of women and girls and calling it rain, um, that the Democratic Party and the so-called pro-choice leaders tied to them, slavishly tied to them, have have cannot be relied on. They did not call a protest. They did not call out the fury of women. They put $124 million into ads to get them elected in the midterms and accepted and legitimized the Supreme Court overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, and they have continued to conciliate and capitulate and work within this fascist juggernaut that is railing against women. And it's because their system actually has no way to resolve the oppression of women. And so I think people, you know, there's big plans for riseupforabortionrights.org coming up this year. People should visit the website. But also people who are serious, who are outraged by what's happening, who don't, who like the song we played before, we won't go back, who are furious that we are being dragged back and don't want that to be the future that we give to girls and women across this country. Um, to watch the interviews that Bob Avakian did about and where he gets into the real basis and possibility for revolution because the idea that we live in a society in a world where the right for women to control their bodies their very lives and destinies should be up for a vote should be determined by a bunch of fascist Neanderthals in a Supreme Court an illegitimate body this is a system that is got to be swept aside so the lesson one you asked for three is First is don't rely on these Democrats. People got to get out there and struggle for the future that we want. Two, as you do, learn about and get connected with this revolution, because there is a different world possible by overthrowing this system. And the third thing I would say is that it comes back to where you began. That and what Bob Avakian talked about in the portion of the interview that we played today, um, we're in a very rare time when what has seemed normal and solid for generations is being ripped apart in front of our eyes, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, 50 years of precedent of women's right to abortion being just shattered in a heartbeat, and this being just one of many things, major things that people have built their lives around and relied on as stable being ripped apart, this is a time where things are not going to stay as they have been. There's a radical resolution coming one way or the other, for humanity's future. It's going to be radically reactionary, and we see that being built up around us, the fascist overturning of abortion rights, them coming for LGBTQ rights, them coming for voting rights, other fundamental rights of the people, the destruction of the environment, many horrors that are intensifying. And at the same time, the way that the normalcy is being ripped up is making it more possible if people get out there to fight against this and get organized for revolution, including unleashing the fury of women as a mighty force for revolution and a driving force for this revolution. So I, third thing is I would say it's a rare time. It's a great time to fight for revolution in a whole different world. You got uh, I just want 30 seconds. Okay. A lot of people times people say, well, 
uh, Bob Avakian, he's a theoretician. Uh, he, he's off to the, you know, he has the theory, it's off to the side, but somebody else, other people are doing it. Could you just talk for a minute about the leadership he provided uh, during this period? Well, you know, it's, it's in this period and over decades, Bob Avakian has stood out for really identifying the fight over abortion. First of all, it's, it's insane how little people will speak about this and recognize it. It's about the oppression of women, the control over women. It's never been about life. It's been about controlling women. Bob Avakian has been laser clear on this for years, and he's identified and fought for people to see the centrality of this and also the need to unleash the fury of women against this to stop these rights from being taken away today because it matters, but also as part of building up the strength to bring this system down. And this gets back to the to the clip that we played from him about a lifelong process that he's gone through of learning more and more deeply how central the fight for the liberation of women is to fight the, to break the chains on women as part of breaking all forms of exploitation and oppression and lifting the system of capitalism, imperialism off humanity and clearing the, the ground so that we could build a different society where people could really relate and be free in a whole different way. I do want to say that during that period, and people should go to Revcom and familiar themselves oh, yeah. that during that period, there were all kinds of articles that B.A. wrote that yeah. really brought clarity to what were often very confusing disagreements, arguments, battles, debates, whatever you want to call them, sometimes unprincipled, that were going on within the movement and actually bringing clarity and a lot of principle yeah. of getting to the truth of things. And I think that, again, this stands out. This is You've got to listen to these interviews. And you've got to hear that YouTube, uh, the Revolution Nothing Less channel on YouTube. Get involved in this revolution. Get into BA. Let's put revolution on the map this year. All right. So I want to thank Lenny Wolf here in studio, Michelle Chai on the telephone. I want to thank Gary Baca for engineering. Happy New Year, Gary. Henry Carson for producing. And once again, my love to Michael Slate. You've been listening to The Michael Slate Show. I am your guest host, Sansara Taylor. For the video of Tumaj that I played before the Iranian rapper, you can go to the website freeiranspoliticalprisoners.org and also get connected and standing up for the political prisoners there. I will be back next week. Happy New Year. Let's put revolution on the map. Mm-hmm.